This is a Woodside Church podcast. Well, good morning to you. My name is Martin. It's great to be together to celebrate this amazing day. It's wonderful. Yes. We had one clap. Yes. yes. Um, We have been following Mark's gospel. If you've been around the last few weeks, we've been looking at something we've called Mark, his words. And we found it really helpful to get into the story, to, to appreciate afresh the story leading up to today. Now, today is the climax of the series. Now, it's not because I'm preaching, obviously. It's because it's the... <laughs> thank you. It's, it's Jesus is alive. That's what we're celebrating today. And I particularly want to get into Mark chapter 16. But we, before we get into that, I just want to say a few things. The first thing I would want to say is that I feel a little bit this morning like someone telling a joke to everyone that you've all heard before. You know, you know the punchline already. I appreciate most of my jokes, you know the punchline already anyway. But it feels a bit like that. We, we, you know, we know the punchline. We know the end to this story. Or maybe it's a little bit like when we're watching a movie together, a movie that we've all, be, all seen before. Do you remember the first time we saw it and there was that amazing twist in the story? And suddenly we thought, wow, that's amazing. And we talked about it for weeks afterwards. It's a little bit like that. We're revisiting a movie that maybe we've seen before. Maybe it's more like this. Today, it's like remembering an event in time that has had huge lifetime significance on for many of us. Like the moment when your bride-to-be says, yes. And your celebration is unrestrained. And your joy is intoxicating. She said, yes. Well, then maybe, sadly, after a few years down the road, the impact, the significance, the joy isn't quite the same sometimes. You see, that's the type of challenge we have today. A story with an amazing twist, a great punchline, an astonishing, world-changing moment in time that many of us have heard before. Yet this doesn't make it any less amazing. And this mustn't rob you and I from being amazed again today at the greatest story there ever is. And whatever you may be facing today, whatever challenges you may be experiencing, none of us must be robbed today from the greatest story with the greatest twist that has ever been and ever will be. One of the... Uh, my wife and I, Dawn, she's there. Uh, one of our wedding anniversaries, I decided to surprise Dawn and take her on a little bit of a bit of a magical mystery tour down memory lane. Now, one of the things I discovered through this process is Dawn doesn't like surprises. So, so it didn't quite go. I won't tell you the whole story, but it didn't go quite go as I had imagined it. But nevertheless, uh, it started by me taking to Dawn to the place where I first if you like, asked her out, first said, look, can, we, can I see you? And uh, we went to uh, a really exclusive place in Brickhill, which was called the Bird in the Hand Pub. Uh, now, some of you who are local to Brickhill and this area have been, been there for a while, you'll know what an amazing establishment it was. It's now a Tesco Express, actually. <laughs> it was so popular they closed it. 
For some of you, I realise you don't remember it, and you're probably lucky, actually. But anyway, I remember walking Dawn home. She lived quite close to those, that shopping precinct, if you're familiar with it. And I walked Dawn home, and I thought, I want to ask, ask her the question, you know, can I see you again? And uh, tr- trying to be cool, trying to get my words straight, I looked at her and I said, Dawn, what are you doing tomorrow night? And she looked back at me, being very cool, and said, I don't know, mine. What am I doing tomorrow night? <laughs> now, come on, how good is that, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, from that moment, I knew she was way out of my league. <laughs> Punching above my weight, I realise you all think that. Now, in a similar way, a little similar way, I want us to go back, if you like, down memory lane. But not to when you first heard this story, although that's amazing in itself. I want us to go back, if you like, and get into the story. Try and understand what it was like for the people that experienced this story the first time. And try and, with them, experience the amazement it must have been when they discovered the outcome, the twist, the punchline in this story. You see, you have to remind ourselves, I think, in Mark 15, we have the most depressing scenario imaginable. Injustice has been done. A murderer has been released. An innocent man killed. There's terrible pain and loss, crying women, terrified men, and a huge stone in front of the hero's tomb. All our worst fears about the world have been confirmed. Jesus has fought death and death has won. That's the setting for the scene that we're about to unpack. In fact, to help us, I asked the team if they could put a video together just focusing on one of the women. And we chose a woman called Salome, who's not mentioned that often, but she's someone that we know who witnessed the cross from a distance. And we try and imagine how she must have been feeling before she went to the tomb and discovered what she was about to discover. So let's watch this video as we try and leap into the story together. Thanks. They killed him. How could they? It all happened so fast and that's it. Now, he's dead. Why didn't he stop them? After all the things we've seen him do, all the miracles, he stopped the storm with one word. He could have stopped this. But he didn't even fight them. He let them do it. They spat on him, tore the clothes from his back. They humiliated my Lord, mutilated him. The brutes, our Messiah, my Saviour, on the cross. I couldn't bear to watch. I couldn't look at him like that. Bloodied and scarred and frail 
He looked so small, so defeated. He didn't deserve this, not my Jesus. What is left now? He promised us so much. We were so full of hope. Now look at us. His own followers, scared and in hiding. How can we go on without him? I would have done anything for him. But now it's too late. All I can do is give him the little I have. I'll wash his body, anoint his wounds with perfumes and spices. He is my king. At least I can honour him like the king that he is. So helpful, isn't it, just to try and imagine how Salome and how all the other followers would have been feeling. It's helpful to get into that part of the story before we... It allows us to be more amazed. That's what I found this. It allows us to think, oh my goodness, when we unpack the rest of the story. So let's do that together, shall we? Let's look at chapter 16. It'll be on the screens behind. Let's see what happened following uh, those moments that we have just referred to. Verse 1 of chapter 16 says this. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Saturday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. It's helpful to notice that in this account... Mark describes that three women are the first witnesses at the tomb. In fact, Mark's not alone. In fact, all of the gospel writers mention that it's women who are the first witnesses to this amazing discovery. Now, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because it shows the authenticity and the accuracy and the honesty of the gospel writers. Because women in that day, this is 2,000 years ago in a different culture, they would have not been allowed to be witness, a witness in a, in a courtroom. And so the fact that the gospel writers said, actually, this is what happened. We're not trying to make this sound more palatable for the listeners of this day. It was the women that discovered first. And it helps us to understand this is, this is not a sales pitch. This is an accurate reporting of what happened remarkable that all the gospel writers are so true to what what actually happened and tells us so much about our God and how he wanted to honour women in that moment. So let's continue the story. Verse 3 says this. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. You see, there would have been grooves in the ground that enabled the stone to be rolled in front of the tomb. In fact, there likely would have been an incline to enable that the stone could be rolled down in front of the entrance of the tomb, which is fine if you're rolling the stone to close the tomb. 
But actually to push that stone uphill was incredibly difficult, something that these women would have not have been able to do, which is why they're thinking as they're going along and thinking, hang on a minute, we probably haven't thought this through. How are we going to remove the stone? We've got the spices, but the task isn't going to be easy for us. So they're pondering and they're, they're grappling with that, and then we read on exactly what happened in verse 5. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. I mean, that's got to be an underest, you know. I mean, my goodness. They, and we read later, we won't touch it, but they were terrified by what was happening. In fact, the angel, we now discover that it's an angel stood there. And Mark explains and says that the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. It's interesting that Mark mentions one angel or some of the other Gospels, they mention two angels. You may think, hang on a minute, I wish they you know, get their story straight. But actually in the writings of that day, it would be very common that you would only mention the one that spoke. And so if one angel spoke, it would be reported there was one angel. If both had spoken, it would have been obviously reported as two angels. So that's why you get sometimes it's two angels, sometimes it's one. But then you hear what the angel had to say. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell the disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The message is he is risen. He is going ahead of you. And go and tell the other disciples. He isn't here. And by the way, make sure you tell Peter. I love that little bit that Mark puts in there for us. Some of you will know that Peter was someone who denied Jesus. Who actually denied even ever knowing him. It's a shocking, tragic moment in the life of Peter. But somehow you see God's heart for Peter. And therefore heart for anyone who in any shape or form has denied Jesus. We've all done that in moments, when we haven't stood up for something that we know to be true, or we've been in a circumstance when we haven't said something we wished we had. We've, we've all been in those types of moments to a greater or lesser extent. We need to know, and that's the point of mentioning that there, go and tell Peter. Make sure he knows that Jesus is alive. As he would say to all of us, go and tell you, go and tell you, go and tell you, whatever you've done, whatever you, in any way you may feel you've strayed away from God's plan. God says, go and tell them, Jesus isn't here, he has risen. Hallelujah. It's good news, isn't it? Are you sure? Let me give you, if you like, in landing this together, it sounds like it's the finish, isn't it? It's not the finish. The landing this year, I want to give four suggestions for how we can stay amazed by the resurrection. Now, you may be amazed right now, so fantastic. But I find with a familiar story, something that we certainly hear once a year. In fact, we hear regularly if you're a believer and you come to a church like ours. But I've got four suggestions, two do's and two don'ts, of how we can be amazed by the resurrection. The first one is a don't. Don't see it as just 
the start of something. Don't see the resurrection of Jesus as just the start of something. Let me explain. A common illustration, if I've used this illustration in different contexts, that people often use for the resurrection of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, is about the D-Day landings in 1944, when the Allies landed on the edge of France, and almost, if not all commentators and military experts say, actually, at that moment when of D-Day, it was clear that the Allies were going to win. And the suggestion can be and has been said that it's a little bit like the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was always guaranteed that he was going to be victorious. But if we approach Easter like that, we are presenting that Jesus is just the start of something. Whereas Jesus was completely victorious. He defeated sin, death and the enemy once and for all. And we stand on that truth today. But we can be tempted to think otherwise when challenges come and difficulties come. We think, well, maybe Jesus didn't completely have a victory on the cross and his resurrection. The opposite is true. Colossians 2 puts it this way. He disarms the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shames them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And in fact, all New Testament theology talks about the Christian life, talks about us growing in God's sanctification, talks about evangelism, talks about every aspect of the Christian life, not based on us completing his work, but actually us recognising that he is victorious. Andrew Wilson puts it this way. Because we continue to live in a world where the rule of Jesus is not yet seen as it will be, a world where sin continues and sickness exists and people die, it is easy to live as if Colossians 2, the verses we just read, were not true. When we do that, Easter becomes God's opening gambit or just the start of something. Jesus didn't start something. Jesus won a victory. He won, in fact, he can be, we can say that he is the only true victorious moment in the whole of time. If you think of other victories, if you think of other wars, you think of other situations, you realise that they're only a victory in time. When I think of when Crystal Palace went on a Saturday afternoon, I know the next Saturday they're going to lose. Do you understand? <laughs> but there's only been one true victory. And it was when Jesus defeated death, and rose again. And the New Testament is full of these ways of describing that the victory has been won. One of the writers said, we used to be slaves to sin. We used to have a leaning towards sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. We have a leaning towards righteousness. Other places it talks about take off the old self, put on the new, because there's new life that we've been born into. Other places, Galatians 4, it talks about, so you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. We talk about that. We sing that, don't we? We're no longer a slave to fear because we're children of God. This is something, this is truth we stand on. And you know, for me, sometimes I struggle with claustrophobia. Sometimes that fear can get a hold of me. 
And I go back to verses like this and say, Jesus was victorious. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I stand on that truth. And sometimes there are areas that have a bit of a strong hold over us. You know, a strong hold has a strong hold over us. You understand? Know it's really deep, I know. But those moments we have to say, no, Jesus was victorious. I know there's a time when Jesus would return and everything will be made complete. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But it's, he, he will do that because he was completely victorious on the cross and through his resurrection. Hallelujah. So how do we stay amazed? Well, firstly, we don't see this as just the start of something. Jesus is victorious. Secondly, how do we stay amazed? Well, we don't see it as only about personal forgiveness and eternal life. We stay stay amazed but realising that this isn't just about our personal forgiveness and an eternal life with him. Although, let's be honest, that's pretty amazing. That we would place our trust in the risen King Jesus and by doing so, we are completely forgiven. And not only that, we have an eternity with him. But you know there's more to be amazed about. It's helpful to remember the words of Mark at the beginning of his gospel. In Mark 1 verse 15, he says this, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. You see, we must never separate the message of the kingdom of God and the resurrection of Jesus. See, when Jesus came on this earth, his message was God's rule, God's reign, God's kingdom was going to come. And he demonstrated that by healing the sick and proclaiming the good news. But actually, that defeat of darkness was only going to be fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross. And so those two things we must see together. His message is that the kingdom of God has come. Now we know that we will see the fulfillment of that when Jesus returns, but we live in the good of the victory that the kingdom of God has come now. It is near. It is among you. Hallelujah. So there are two don'ts that we don't want to fall into that will help us to stay amazed. Well, what about the do's? I have two do's for you. The first do is this. Do make a decision. See, in a church like ours, I trust. People can, and we encourage people to come as you are. Whatever decisions you've made, wherever you find your life, wherever you are on your walk and your story with God, our message to you is you are welcome. You can belong. In fact, you'll find that we're a group of people that are trying to find our way with God as well. And we'd love you to come and be a part of us, to belong here. You are welcome. Come as you are. But there has to be a moment when you decide, am I with Jesus or I'm not with Jesus? Do I believe he rose again or do I not believe he rose again? To be amazed, you have to make a decision that this is the truth. You have to make a decision 
that what you knew before is not true, but what you've just discovered is true. There's a famous story, again from World War II, of a Japanese lieutenant called Lieutenant Hiro Onoda. And this is his story. He refused to believe that the World War II was over and remained in in hiding from 1945 until 1974 for 29 years. And there was a student called Norio Suzuki and he finally reached this lieutenant who had lived under this false view of the world. And Suzuki proclaimed to him the good news that the war was over. Amazingly and wonderfully, Onoda believed. And he finally brought his life and his behaviour in line with this new revealed truth. For some today, there's a new revealed truth. That the war is over. That victory has been won. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. The enemy has defeated. But you have to believe it. You have to choose to believe that. And so for some... The being amazed today is by saying yes to him. Yes to the one who we celebrate is alive today. And you do that by allowing him to bring uh, your life under his control. Your life won't be without challenge, but he wants to bring forgiveness. He wants to bring restoration in relationship with the Father. He wants to bring a new purpose in your life. But it begins by saying, yes, I make that decision today. And fourthly and finally, and I think my, I'm not sure if my grammar is correct. Number four, do get baptised. Do get baptised. You know what I mean by baptism? It's when you, you stand in a, in a pool of water and someone immerses you in water. And as you do that, you you illustrate the giving of your life, the dying of yourself, and the coming back to life as a new creation. In fact, we have a baptistry here, and on June the 30th, we're going to be baptising a whole load of people. And that is actually designed to look very much like a grave, because we die to the old self, and we come up a new person. Now, let me just clarify. You don't become a Christian when you're baptised. That's something that God brings new life in here. That's when you say yes to him. But actually, there is something very powerful about being baptised. It's not just symbolic of something that's happened internally. In fact, I was trying to work out, and then I gave up. I've probably seen thousands and thousands of people in my long life baptised. And many of you have as well. And I haven't known one that hasn't been baptised and have not been more amazed by God's grace and God's love and God's forgiveness and God's plans for their life. God does something powerful when we are baptised. One of the writers of the New Testament said these words, Don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Hallelujah. I want to land this. This This is the proper finish. In a minute, I want to give opportunity for some of us to respond to God. And I will do it with our eyes closed and and you won't be put under any pressure, but I feel we need a moment. I feel there's some of you 
who need to make a decision, need to say, actually, I do believe. I do believe. You're like that lieutenant who's been in the jungle, as it were, who, and now he's been brought to a reality that he needs to believe. Death is defeated. The war is over. And maybe others of you that know you need to get baptised. In fact, you may be the same people. There might also be those that, you know, you've drifted away from God. And this is an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, I trust in you again. I trust in your life and all that you have for me. Let me, to help this, let me just mention one last story. When uh, a few years ago, Dawn and I, one of our daughters, Esther, got married. She actually got married in, in, this, in this room, in this hall. And uh, she's married, uh, 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 well, is now our son-in-law, Johnny, who we love very much. And there was a wonderful moment in the, in the wedding that will live with me to the day that I die. In fact, there were two moments. I'd say the first one was when I walked Esther down. I'm very proud of our daughters, Esther and Becky. So I, w- I walked Esther down, and I loved Johnny, but I looked at Johnny, and I thought, I don't know whether I want to hug you or punch you, you know? You know, this is my girl. This is my girl. And so there was a whole mixed emotions. Eventually, I allowed Esther to marry her, marry him. But, you know, there was a moment when, after they'd said the I wills and they exchanged rings, they'd done all those things, and I, I illustrated. It was like this just down there. And then suddenly Johnny went back and he went, yes! And it was, and, and we roared. And it was like, he, it's like he scored a goal, you know. But it was like he was saying, I, I got her. I won. I'm in. This is amazing. And he put, put his hand in the air and he said, I'm in. This is me. I'm married to the girl I love. And, and it was just a moment which, which I felt was wonderful And I just want to offer something similar for us today. If you know you need to put your hand up in a moment, if you need to say, Jesus, I'm in. Jesus, I'm yours. And you want to celebrate. You want to say, yes, Jesus. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. I want to be baptized. Or I'm returning back to you. Then I I feel you. I I want to give you that moment. Is that okay? So I ask you all to stand. And... If we can all close our eyes, bow our heads. And as we do that, very quickly and very simply, if you could just raise your hand if you know you need to respond to Jesus today. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Great, if you just put your hands down. Let's just pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you were victorious on Easter Day. Lord, I thank you that you just didn't start something, but you proclaimed that once and for all, death was defeated, sin was defeated, the enemy was defeated, and that your kingdom had come, your reign had come. Lord, we know there will be a day when it comes in fulfillment, but we live in the good of what happened on Easter Sunday today. Lord, we thank you that your life is flowing through us. We thank you, Lord, that those who have responded today can be assured that you're a God who welcomes those who have run from you, welcomes those who have been apart from you, that you're a God that is accepting of all. We thank you for the words that remind us about Peter, who denied you, Jesus, but you were eager for him to know that you were the risen King Jesus. And we thank you that's true for any of us who have strayed from you. And Lord, I pray, would you help us all to live in the good of Easter Sunday? Jesus is alive. 
Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that your life will continue to flow in us and through us and that we would be like those early witnesses that were encouraged to go and tell the others. Lord, we pray that we would be those that would go and tell. We thank you, God, that you have turned our lives upside down and we celebrate your goodness and your grace and your love to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.